1: And welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or,
2: as I like to call it, Dear Felicia and Hank.
1: It is the weekly podcast where I, Hank Green, and usually John, I don't know if we can even say usually anymore because it has now been more not John than John, but anyway, this week, the amazing Felicia Day, answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. But first, Felicia, do you have a poem for us?
2: Mm -mm. Yeah, uh, I do, in fact, have a prepared statement. A couple of the sounds that <laughs> I really like are the sounds of a switchblade and a motorbike. I'm a juvenile product of the working class whose best friend floats in the bottom of a glass. Thank you.
1: Thank you for that lovely poem <laughs> written by Bernie Taupin, the man who wrote almost all of the lyrics to Elton John's songs. Tiny dancer. This is the final... This is the final Elton John lyric of uh, of Dear Hank and John, because John's hiatus will be ending next week, so he will be back. But this week, even better than John, we have Felicia. How are you doing?
2: I'm really good. How are you?
1: I'm good. We just did VidCon, so I'm a little bit exhausted and confused and uh, not entirely sure what my purpose is in life anymore. But other than that, just dandy.
2: You have postpartum... Uh uh, r- uh, yeah, I got, I got, depression. I got Not, a little yes. bit of
1: po- post-Vidcon melancholia, um, which is normal. I have that normal. when I
2: go to Comic-Con, yes, yeah. and when I go to any television uh, show that I have. Because w- I think when you're in any intense circumstance where you're just literally mo- living moment to moment, when you stop to reflect the emptiness of life or the positivity of it, you get a little bit down.
1: And that's what we're all about here at Dear Hank and John, pausing to reflect the emptiness of life. <laughs> Cheery. Let's just do that for, for the next... For, let's, in fact, the rest of this episode is just going to be silence, uh, but you are required as a listener to listen to these 40, seconds of, 40 minutes of silence during which nothing happens except that you reflect on the emptiness of life.
2: But I think you should watch a timer as you watch that 40 minutes go by <laughs> to really remind you of how fleeting life is, because that would make it more
1: depressing. <laughs> <laughs> uh in in reality thank you uh viewer for uh, listener i suppose for sharing your time with us because we know that you have a limited number of moments on this earth and you have chosen to spend some of them with us uh boy is this just the best humor podcast on itunes
2: it is it is under the humor category and i I think we're channeling it
1: right yeah we're (laughs) pushing pushing that hard um, so what have you been up to, Felicia?
2: You know, I've been really busy. I have, been, I have my book coming out, so that's very intense, finishing a book, starting it, telling people about it. I, I admire your brother very much, having gone through this yeah. process one time. He is the eternal champion of uh, Ginzooing his life into pieces in order to accommodate all the needs of a book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, other than that, Geek and Sundry is going along, lots of writing, uh, and uh, and just... I feel even even keeled. I feel like my life is planned out enough so that I don't have to be anxious about it. I just have to live the moments. Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. Well, that's excellent news. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. I'm really excited about your book. It comes out, uh, if I'm correct, August 11th. It is,
2: August it's 11th. It's called
1: You're, You're Never Weird on the Internet, Almost. Correct?
2: Correct. And that was a title that took almost as long as the first draft.
1: <laughs> I bet. I, I would love to hear your long list of alt titles, which I'm sure is very long and and awful and annoying to, to even think about. It, there
2: are some truly bad, <laughs> yes, there are truly bad, truly bad options. Uh, Ge- geek I mean, just really That is how awful.
1: it tends to be. Um, So here on Dear Hank and John, or as it may be, Dear Hank and Felicia, uh, what we do is we answer people's questions that they have sent us to the email address, dearhankandjohn at gmail.com. And we have a number of those to answer today, so I think that it might be time to just dive in and start doing that. Uh, Do you want to ask our first question? Yeah, I can do that.
2: Um, Annie asks, Dear Hank and Felicia, I'm about to start my junior year of high school and how do I overcome the overwhelming sinking feeling thinking about what's to come this year? I am terrified. Everyone says it's so hard and very important. And what if I screw up my entire life in the single year? <laughs> Good
1: question. Yeah. Um, I will say that it is important, uh, but I don't know that it's necessarily so hard, but it is also not so important that if you uh, if you have a, a rough go uh, one year of of any year of your life, regardless of the year, regardless of, you know, what what year in school you are. Boy, can I guarantee you that that will not mess up your whole life.
2: Yeah, I agree. I I relate to this question a lot because I am definitely a perfectionist. I have a perfection syndrome, which a lot of my life... Um, disabled me <laughs> into making the kind of choices that I think would have been good for myself because I was afraid of messing up. So I'm not saying that it's uh-huh. uh, go out and de- deliberately tank junior year because it's uh, very important to get into uh, college and do well in your grades to prepare you for that phase of your life. But I will say that as an older person or uh, relative to a junior high school person, <laughs> uh, the the things that I have learned Mo- that were most valuable in my life have been the failures, not the amazing successes that I was able to brag to people about.
1: Yeah, I mean it there's there's a this weird thing about uh screwing up, um, that it feels like the biggest thing in the world when it happens. Uh but it tends to from both the perspective of of time looking back on it as as me but also from the perspective of people around me that it, those things are fairly insignificant um, like they like that's the real surprise. The surprise isn't so much to me that like looking back on my past failures that I don't necessarily consider them as big of a deal as I did at the time. It's that even at the time, the people around me didn't think that those things were such so so catastrophic as I did. And really, what I was concerned about wasn't necessarily failing; it was being perceived as a failure. Mm. And that um, I, I think is is. A mostly a usually irrational fear because oftentimes what i when i see people fail uh i a- almost never think less of them unless they failed for a reason that uh that it has you know it's not it's not so much about the failure it's that they have done something that i find uh like that that according to my values is is a little off or skeezy or something um so it's Oftentimes when I see people fail, in fact, I find that uh, increases my opinion of them. And and I try to think about that when I mess up or do something wrong and think about how how do I turn this mess up into, you know, and not, not think about the way that people are thinking about me as a screw-up, but think about the way that people are thinking about me me uh, as someone who's dealing with a situation that isn't ideal. Uh, and so, like, it, yeah, I, I, I often... You know, those are the moments where you learn the most about yourself and also the moments where other people learn a lot about you. And so, I, I mean, it, all of this is to say that that anxiety about failure is a little is, is misplaced because usually um, the people who who are judging who you think will be judging you are, in fact, uh, right there with you and probably caught up in their own their own failure, uh, their, their own anxieties and fears about the world. Uh, and And think that whatever's happened to you is, you know, you you're handling it well and you're being quite proficient. Uh, this is this is my, yeah, m- all of my thoughts on on this on this very, very brief question.
2: I mean, I think a lot of it, you're you're right. It is anxiety. And as a very anxious person, I think it took a while, and maybe just even in the last year or so where I can comprehend that no matter if the worst thing in the world happens, Nothing ends. Your life will still go on. You will have different choices, but they may be even better choices in the long term. So you kind of have to mm-hmm. think of your life as um, uh, I don't want to say it's a marathon versus a sprint, but <laughs> that is a good analogy because it's true. <laughs> like you are the, you, it's like if you go to a restaurant you love and one time you have a bad meal, but the aggregate of all the meals you've had at that place are uh, pretty darn good. Uh, obviously I'm not going to say that place I'm never going back. I mean if you if there might be people who say I'm never going back, but they might be missing out on the aggregate of an awesome thing and that's fine if you don't have that person or opportunity in your life anymore. I mean I'm I'm definitely not saying tank your junior year, but I am saying that <laughs> life goes on and you will cope and you will have just as many options to you afterwards. They just will be different from the things that you're anxious about losing right now.
1: Mhm. Yeah. And uh, and just more specifically, junior year probably isn't going to be. I mean, if if you work, if you you know, if you're conscious about how you learn and about um, and about wanting to learn, uh, then I, I, I a lot of people have gotten through junior year. All right. So it's it's something that I, I think you can do, Annie. I have faith,
2: right. And junior year, I think, is that you should be trying different things mm-hmm. and be willing to fail, knowing that you might like those things or not like them. Like this is a perfect time in your life to figure out what you want to do a little bit more. and and you have free reign to experiment. And right now, it's there there are lower stakes. It's not easy high school, but this is a time you should branch out and feel. Um, and to feel out different opportunities that you might want to pursue more uh, vigorously in college. So I would say um, embrace yourself and try two things that you might know that will go to, go south, but it will be worth <laughs> trying. Yeah,
1: that's, a, that's really interesting because we do put a ton of pressure on young people in high school and in college, and and sort of saying like this is that like you have to be serious about your future, but really uh, that it it is great to think of it as co- kind of a more low stakes time of your life, and that's not what we that's not what the establishment wants to tell children because we don't want them to make those giant mistakes that really can mess up your life, uh, like uh, that that might land you in in uh, in prison, for example. <laughs> uh, that would that 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 might mess up your life pretty hard. But yeah, that this this. Uh, it really, because you don't have people dependent on you, um, and you and you don't have to pay your own bills. And, and, and in in a, in a way, you're not even dependent on yourself. Um, th- it is it's it's a time when when uh, I think that certain risks should be encouraged rather than prohibited against at all costs. It's just uh, an interesting way that we treat young people in our country because we don't we are terrified. And we don't trust them.
2: Well, I think it's approaching other people's homework for you is important, but your own homework for yourself is super important as well. Mm -hmm. And especially in that time of life, like that is when you should be free to do some homework, figure out who you are, and you will probably try things you don't like, but unless you try them, you won't know. And uh, so that's why I always encourage people to jump headfirst into something um, and and at least You'll be eliminating something, mm-hmm. or you're going forward in a satisfied way.
1: I feel really good about our answer to that question. What what kind and thoughtful people we are, Felicia.
2: I know we are uh, people who have made mistakes, who are trying to be wise.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh God, uh, praise has a question for us. She asks, dear Hank and Felicia, what are some of your good best friend criteria?
2: Oh, that's a good question.
1: Yeah. So if you're gonna have, if you're gonna have or be a best friend, what are we looking out for? Uh, that's interesting because a lot of times I felt like in my life um, a best friend isn't necessarily something I've chosen. It's something that kind of happened to me, like like a brother. You know, it's just the the person that I ended up with somehow. Um, that's less the case now as an adult who has made some more conscious decisions. But as a young person, I often felt like I kind of just. And this isn't entirely true, but in a lot of ways, just sort of ended up with the people who were nearby.
2: Well, that's why putting yourself in situations and social spheres is super important and not settling for one where you, mm-hmm. I think I think the core of it is being able to be yourself effort, effort, effortlessly mm-hmm. <laughs> and not have to pretend or hide anything you are. Mm-hmm. Because that person, if in order to be quote unquote best, should know the barest you and still want to like you. I think that's important for a boyfriend, girlfriend, or a platonic friend. Mm -hmm. You, yeah, I mean, I think you shouldn't have any sense of shame about yourself um, with a best friend.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that. there's something so wonderful about that moment where you realize where, uh, when you realize that people uh, uh, like you, uh, despite the fact that you, uh, in my experience, uh, that I don't like me that much. Uh, because I'm all up inside of me and analyzing my own faults, uh, and then having someone be like, "No, I, yeah, all those all those things are really great," like that Bridget Jones's Diary moment. Um, <laughs> uh, and for for all the people out there who uh, aren't children and have seen that movie, um, and yeah, that's that's such a that's such a great way to think about it.
2: Yeah, I know that, and and, and I think when you think about it like that, you allow yourself not to have everyone like you and I have a I am of course a pathological please like me person I don't know what it is about the way I was mm-hmm. raised but when I feel the most acutely rejected when I'm don't you know it doesn't seem like I belong or I do something that messes up with someone or I show them an interest that doesn't fit with them and I get I feel in my mind that I get rejected um, which may, may or not mm-hmm. be the case so I, I, I take that to heart very very um, Closely, but when I, I realize that you're not going to like everything, I don't like beer. That doesn't make me a bad person, but that just means like that's just not for me. And every person is not for every person. So, it, it allows you mm-hmm. to let go of things where you're clinging to them and might morph yourself to be inauthentic, and therefore you're always acting, which is not comfortable. Or in the best friend realm at all. Yeah,
1: and so I think that as as if I think the right way to think about this is like, how do I be the best best friend? And and really, that's about trying to coax out the real person from the person that you love. Uh, you know, this this friend that uh, like coaxing coaxing them out and like letting them be exactly who they are mm-hmm. and and hopefully really really liking that person uh if it turns out that you don't really really like that person don't try to change them don't try to like mold them into the thing that you want your perfect best friend to be it might just not be that you two should be together all the time it might be that there are other better people that have more similar perspectives and interests uh to you um but like that's that's the that's the thing that I'm, you know, it's, it's such a tremendous gift to someone to try and help them be, be more themselves and be more comfortable with themselves. And that that's a role that I, you know, that I'm very grateful to people in my life for having done for me. So if you can try and do that for other people, it is something that they will probably be tremendously grateful for and love you for.
2: That's very interesting because as you're saying that, I'm thinking about acting. And, of course, don't be an actor in a relationship in real life, but I um, trained in Meisner a lot, which is a lot about not necessarily putting on a character but being yourself authentically in the moment with a script about the other person. And I know the best acting Mm. I've ever done was getting out of my own head and about my own performance and about what I'm going through and just focusing on what the other person was going through. And that really is what the Meisner technique is about, where you're putting all your focus on the other person and then you're reacting and allowing yourself to react naturally, caring about that other person. And that's when you really forget you're acting and you're in the moment. And I think the best acting is you're creating a relationship with that other person, not acting that you have a relationship. So it's an interesting analogy you talk about because that is sort of the real life version of cool. Meisner acting. <laughs>
1: We got another question. This one is from Cyprus, uh, who asks, Dear Hank and Felicia, I've been having trouble as of recent with a person who's been a bit too friendly. I used to consider him a friend, but after a bit of a falling out, I realized that he wasn't a person that I really wanted to be associated with, so it's been a few months since then, and he's reach, reached out to me uh, and apologized and asked if we could be friends again. That all seems fine, fine and dandy, but frankly, I just don't want to be friends with him. I don't hate him or anything. He's just not somebody I'd like to hang out with. TLDR, how do I go about telling someone that, frankly, I don't like them and don't want to be friends with them again? Ugh. Oh, that's. I top. mean, yeah, it is, and, and it's it's certainly something that I've dealt with, uh, and and usually by being like, oh yeah, give me a call, and then not answering when they call, you know, like it's it's the it's the ghosting. Yeah. You gotta gotta ghost them, uh, but that doesn't always work, and also it's a little crappy thing to do.
2: It's really hard, and I uh, I know I know that. <laughs> I've tried, I mean, this is not the same as friendship, but like in a business level, it's always the most persistent people that you're like, I don't mm. want to have lunch with you. I don't want to have lunch with you. I don't want, okay, fine, because you won't go away. And, you know, you, you tend to reward the people if you're busy mm-hmm. with the, who are most persistent. And I frankly been honest with people and I've been like, listen, I just don't have time to do this or do this favor for you or whatever. I don't have time to give you what you want from me. And- the pushback I've gotten has been just so bad. And I'm a very non-confrontational person. So I I don't know. Ghosting is my backup plan, I guess, in life and business and (laughs) personal. Cause I just don't know how else you deal with it um, and, and not leave a tainted sort of taste in your mouth with another person's feelings who just won't get the hint.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a certain amount of, you have to be careful and make sure that this person isn't, basically trying to manipulate you and and being uh disrespectful of you Mm uh if if you are if you think you are being clear that they uh that that you don't want to chill with them anymore and they aren't taking the hint it may be that they uh are trying to willfully manipulate you and that is You know, in in business, that's a kind of thing that you sort of have to deal with. In personal life, that shouldn't be a thing that you have to deal with. And uh, in in that circumstance, then, uh, you know, you might you might want to look out for a sort of a a pattern of manipulation in this person to make sure that that they're just trying to be friends again and they, they're you know, have good motives rather than they're trying to control you, Uh, because when people are trying to control you, that is very much a situation where you want to be like, look. I'm just cutting this off it's not gonna happen
2: yeah also also it's it's it sounds like it's driven by their ego whether they I mean mm-hmm. what is it that they want from you are you really was it was it a very special friendship like I I I guess this is this is a question of like how, what level of intimacy of friendship was there, and what was the motivation for falling out, and was it a situation where you've grown past that person and that circumstance for being close to them, or something uh, you know bad happened, and you want to separate yourself, and they're just desperately trying to cover their own ego, but re- redeeming themselves regardless of what your feelings mm-hmm. are, and needing space to get over it. Like it sounds like when somebody is like that, either they. Have a true problem in reading other people's, uh, uh, you know, reactions, in which you might actually just have to be honest and, and say, I can't hang out, I need time, or I'm just really busy, um, or they're just driven by their own ego, and you shouldn't feel bad about just kind of not responding because hopefully eventually mm-hmm. they'll move on.
1: Right. If they're trying, if it, if it feels like they're trying to control you, then you should have no qualms about controlling your own destiny and and basically just ignoring them. And if it goes beyond that, if they keep bugging you, then that's like a legitimate circumstance where you need to be uh you need to be straight up and be like and basically say, "Look, this isn't a relationship that I'm interested in having. I've got lots of stuff going on and you're not part of it and it's just going to have to be that way." It's very it, that is extremely hard. I've had to do it a couple times. It's extremely unpleasant. There's nobody, I don't know that anybody's good at it except for maybe people who are just, just have zero anxiety in in, inside of them. But, um, but those moments where you say, look, this is how it's going to be. And that's a little bit like, you know, a breakup where you're saying this, like, no, we can't be friends. We have to break up. We're friend, we're friend breaking up. And, And I don't need to explain why, because I'm living my life and you can live yours. But whether or not I'm a part of your life is my decision. Just like whether or not, you like like you can't have, you can't, you know, like your desires do not affect my desires. And so Mm. I don't need to tell you why this is over. It just is. And you have to accept that. And a lot of times with particularly manipulative people, if you give them a reason, then they're just going to be like, oh, well, we can fix that. But it, yeah. it it might not be about there being a reason. It might just be about you not wanting to chill with them anymore. And that's fine. Like you not liking their values, you not liking them, you sensing something off about them that you don't want to have in your life. And that's fine. And you should totally go with your instincts. And um And you should not feel a responsibility to tell that person all the reasons or to, like, cushion that blow or whatever. It's, you know, it's your life, and and you should be able to control yourself.
2: I I feel like just listening to your strengths— is making me A what you're talking about is making me anxious, just thinking about a scenario where it has yeah, to do totally that. I know, totally, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean I've never bro- I've never broken up with, with a friend like that. I've never had a business thing that I could ever say to somebody's face, I just don't want to do this anymore. Like and, and that is a and I think that's part of my being homeschooled. Like I did not deal with confrontation or rejection as much as I should have as a kid and um, I, I I love the fact that you're encouraging that and everyone to be strong enough to to stand up for yourself, really, and, and control the relationship strings that are attached to you in life. Because um, if not, you know, it, it weighs you down. And I think especially in modern times where we can't get away from our friends from college or high school or elementary school, because we are tied to them in an online fabric that is easy to cut off, but persistently there where people can enter your mm-hmm. life again. I think it's even a, a, a bigger issue to talk about. So thank you for lending me strengths and um, Cyprus as well.
1: Yeah. And it's, I mean, it gives me anxiety too, to talk about it and, and not even having to do it. Um, it's not something I've had to do in a long time, uh, which is nice yay
0: (laughs)
2: yeah yay strength
1: Um, but i mean there are definitely like business relationships i have where i i I would love to say that but in business it's different because it's not a like because everybody sort of shares business like everybody shares an industry and and we all have to you know live together inside of our industry uh but with with personal stuff it isn't like it has to be a, a you know, a mutually agreed upon relationship. And if one person doesn't want to be in it, then the relationship doesn't exist anymore. Like that's how relationships work.
2: Yeah, but as you know, it's, we are in a weird world and when you're in an entertainment, business is personal and personal is business frequently. Yeah. And as someone mm-hmm. who's gone through a lot of iterations of what I do and having personal relationships move on and business relationships move on in various good and bad ways, um, it it is very difficult and you you know if something goes wrong, everyone's the hero of their own tale, and you're not going to be the hero in everyone's tale. And so mm-hmm. the only thing you can do is what your gut is telling you is the right thing for you. Um, and 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 that includes your moral fabric in that you're not really messing somebody over or really hurting their feelings. So it's complicated, but uh yeah, it's even more complicated when business and personal mix.
1: Yeah, it sure is <laughs> fun.
2: Kairis asks, Dear Felicia and Hank, I was wandering through a nearby forest and was thinking about Groot. Groot can only say one thing, but can express emotion when he says it. My question to you is would you rather only say one thing, but express emotion as you want when you say it, like Groot, or say whatever you want, but be unable to express any emotion? Mm. Oh,
1: boy. Mm. Well, the question is Can I say, like, I am very mad right now? Or, like, Hmm. can I express, can I, can I, I I can say whatever I want. So I can. I I can express emotion in that way. Just I wouldn't be able to, like, it would be difficult to believe for me to be like, I am so mad right now. I've never been this angry in my life. And this is the most angry I've ever been. And no one would ever, no one could believe you. No one would, 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 and, and it'd be very difficult to say to someone, like, I love you. Uh, but without any emotion ever being shown in your relationship with that person. Uh, And they would just have to believe you. Um, No one one would know for sure whether you were scared or not. you just have to be like, I'm very scared.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I mean, that would be very Spock-like in that you can't, I mean, because she says, mm -hmm. uh, um, or he, um, you would be unable to express any emotion, which means your face, which is... Uh, a vehicle to unspoken emotion would not be able to express it at all so you're you're completely expressionist in your face and body i mean if you're unable to express does that mean you can't hug someone so Mm. that would be a very bad world i think
1: yeah yeah i mean i i started out i started out being uh being i would want to be able to uh to, to to say whatever I want, but I've come, I've come around to the other perspective, especially because, uh, I, and I believe those around me would be happy to learn sign language and express emotion that way. So boom, check that out. True. I got around the, the paradox. Technically
2: in the question you could write, you could only say it like Groot. You only want you could. Would you rather only say one thing but express emotion as you want when you say it, and then that? I mean, maybe I'm just parsing. Maybe I'm being a lawyer. I've watched too much Good Wife lately. I'm parsing this question. <laughs> you,
1: you should. You you really should have phrased this question more carefully because the way re- we read it, <laughs> this you, either way could be either way. It's really <laughs> there's it's full of loopholes.
2: I, I Swiss cheese. It's a Swiss cheese question, so I would say the Groot being able to say emotion and then be able to hug people because I like hugs
1: that's good that's good though we are both uh, employed as professional speakers of words but what what good would it be if we could only speak words without emotion that you'd get no no more acting jobs for Felicia
2: yeah true true no acting although writing you could be well unable to express any emotion let's let's just theoretically say that you couldn't speak emotion but you could write emotion. Mm -hmm. So then actually that limitation might make you the best composer or writer in the world because you have to channel everything Mm. into, um, your, um, expression, your, your art. So actually, I don't know. Now I'm, now I'm on the fence again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Turns out this is a really complicated question. Ah! I, I was just thinking earlier today, I was having a conversation with some friends about how superheroes, uh, and we're talking about, I'm talking about superheroes right now that have special abilities, how they uh, how they choose to make the world a better place is, is often, seems very, uh, it's, it's big and it's explosive and it's about like, you know, attacking and defeating evil, but it isn't really the way that good gets done in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe this, maybe there's something like well, if we're talking about Superman maybe there's something in the sort of morality of Superman that prevents this but he has the ability to do so much good in just sort of like infrastructure creation and like he could just you know he up balls of stuff with his heat vision and then use that to power power plants without the production of fossil fuel, or without the burning of fossil fuels, and and solve global warming sort of in one stroke. But I bet there's some, like, weird mythological thing with Superman that says, like, according to the laws of Krypton, he can't do that.
2: I mean, I particularly, I'm not a big superhero fan, I because I find... I mean, this is very, probably going to be controversial, but you know, yes, they can do great deeds, but they are not emotionally mature to me as an uh, as They an don't aggregate. seem to be. No, they would be they, a terrible it, date. It's
1: it's almost it's almost as if they all act like teenage boys. Oh
2: wow, <laughs> that's it's true, absolutely, and they don't know how to express themselves, so they just hey, I'm going to no. move a building. I don't know, and that's why I'm not. Um, I mean, well, in your just in a cursory grants would you say that any superhero has the uh, emotional acumen to solve a problem with words and emotion versus just big actions I wouldn't say that anybody particularly springs to mind in my my mind
1: I think that there's probably some 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 X-Men that, X-Men
2: I was about to say yeah the, rogue I mean some of the more yeah. psychological yeah
1: Kitty Pryde maybe yeah you're right yeah but you know that's that's a that's a big, I, and I think I think uh, I think a lot of superhero mythologies have come a long way in the last like ten years, or even or even five years, in terms of like a more uh, of, a fuller view of of the of the universe and and of human interaction. True. Uh, just because a lot of comic readers have grown up a bit. Yeah, but if, um, yeah, it,
2: it's because, almost like the evil yeah. ones have more psychological motivation. Like I can't imagine ca- yeah, Captain America or Superman would be. Would be able to have a really good relation you know relationship discussion, but I, you know somebody who's a bad guy i I'm sure you could like deal with your issues. he probably wouldn't come to your side, but at least you know you're going to have a good conversation about it because they're a little <laughs> bit more savvy. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it it seems as if uh, you know, villains uh, writers need to create more motivation for villains, and so they they sort of create their the sort of internal mythology of the vi- like the villain's internal mythology more fully than they create the heroes because the hero the motivation is is more explicit; it's more obvious to the reader. It's, it's um, yeah, but it's externally and, motivated, and because of that, I it's it's interesting. I often hear people saying like, I kind of identify with villains more than with heroes because like. I, you know, I like. I get that. I get where they're coming from, and like, ugh, like the world is so messed up, and why not just, why not just destroy all of it? Which, you know, it's re- it's, it's always great when you see a hero dealing with that. When you see, you know, Watchmen is a really good example of a comic that has just a ton of, uh, a ton of like really deeply flawed heroes who, uh, who, uh, despite the fact that the world might be coming to an end, are basically just like, I could fix this problem, but boy, am I sad, <laughs> and I don't want to. <laughs>
2: That's maybe why I love Watchmen.
1: <laughs> yeah. Watchmen is pretty great. Uh, th- th- that, that was a complete non-sequitur that had nothing to do with any of the questions that we were asked. So we're going to ask another one. This one is from Lauren, who asks, Dear Hank and Felicia, I recently read that the Curiosity Mars rover is programmed to sing Happy Birthday to itself once a year. I'm feeling too lazy to research this. Could you confirm whether or not this is true? And also... Do you think uh, you would sing "Happy Birthday" to yourself if you lived all alone by yourself on another planet? I can, in fact, confirm that the Curiosity Rover does sing "Happy Birthday" to itself once a year on on the anniversary of its landing on Mars, which is just adorable.
2: That's really adorable. I want to hear it. Is it a, what kind of cute little voice is it, or is it just uh, like a chip tone thing?
1: Uh, yeah, it's a chip tone thing. Yeah. Oh exactly. my
2: gosh, that's adorable.
1: I'm pretty sure. I mean, that's what I imagine. I I didn't. I don't know. Maybe it. Happy maybe it's birthday. just the a recording yeah. of a child singing "Happy Birthday," which would be way creepier.
2: <laughs> really creepy if you're an alien.
1: <laughs> I just think that's a that was such a great like uh, afterthought kind of thing. It's like, well, I mean, why is there even a speaker on it? I'm sure there's a reason that it has a speaker. There's probably a really great scientific reason that that the Curiosity Rover needs to have speakers. Uh, it, and I I. Don't know what that would be, but I'm sure there is one. And so once you have it, you can be like, hey, you know what would be great? You know what would like, let people talk more about curiosity? Like, give us another opportunity to, to have a press release go out. Let's have it sing Happy Birthday to itself.
2: It would be great if you were able to um, submit your own, you know, voice. Remember in, in the old... Uh, days they had that computer voice that you could program in and you would just make it say things if you type them into the browser mm-hmm. i mean that yeah, was totally. amazing yeah. so if you had people bid for charity in order to be able to say i'm going to have the curiosity to speak on you know i
1: love it i love it yeah just like send a message to curiosity rover and have it be like butt fart fart butt <laughs> fart 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 butt fart butt and that would be that's That'd be so good. I would totally. How much money would I pay to have Curiosity Rover just say the word "fart" three times on the surface fart, of fart, Mars?
2: Fart. Um, I would. I would pitch him for that if we can yeah. make that happen. I'm. I'm. I'm a donor. How?
1: What's? What's your? What's your number though? Like how? Like what's your highest number? I would pay. I would pay a thousand. I was thinking
2: a thousand. I was thinking somewhere between five hundred and a thousand. Okay. I mean that's an upper limit. But if we went in five hundred each, thousand dollars. That's that's yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, my first my first thought was like uh, was five hundred, but then I was like, would I pay more than that? Yes, I'd pay seven hundred. Would I pay eight hundred? Yes, and then I got to a thousand. Then I was like, yes, and then eleven nope. 1, hundred. I was like, Ugh, yeah. So so I feel like around a thousand dollars, I would pay to have to have the Mars River just just say fart a few times, and and apparently Felicia wants the same thing. So we can just it's really five hundred each. Some so strings and make happen.
2: I think I think we know enough people co- collectively yeah. that we could definitely.
1: Yeah, if anybody listening to the podcast right now has the ability to uh, get curiosity to say words for us, <laughs> we've got $1,000 for you.
2: Well, to, to charity. To charity. I think you should go to like a, you know...
1: Oh, okay. It should go, yeah. Right, right. Not for not for you, one, one person. person don't, but we don't yes, want to we, uh,
2: encourage like you know under the under
1: the table trading. Well, reading. honestly, I don't care what it goes <laughs> to. I'll get I, anything. If it's for charity, I, I, I would pay even more. But but a thousand dollars, I'd I'd pay just just you know, Jeff from NASA to, to do <laughs> that for, for us. You're gonna
2: get him fired now. It's gonna be some kind of extortion ring <laughs> at JPL. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, the, the second component to this question was do you think you'd sing happy birthday to yourself if you lived all alone on another planet?
2: Yes, because I saw Castaway and Tom Hanks got crazy hair um, from loneliness and I I think that benchmarks are important in life and <laughs> if I were to just say to hell with it, I would probably be a dirty, very uncut lady at the end and just kind of die sadly without any any sort of highlights to my my island planet. I
1: I think it'd be hard to keep track of the days if nobody else was around, but I guess if I had a smartphone, you know, it would do it for me because one assumes that if you're on a, on another planet, you've got like, uh, you've got stuff keeping you alive. that has like the date and time on it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know that I would sing happy birthday to myself, but I would definitely celebrate my birthday. Uh, if I was mentally, uh, together enough to, to do that. Um, if i was in my current state i would but probably by the time my birthday rolled around rolls around next may if like suddenly i was by myself on another planet just the the solitude probably would have gotten to my head by that point and i i wouldn't be in in the state to be able to do much of anything i don't know though maybe i'd keep really busy on mars maybe i'd be super into mars and just like look at rocks all day that's Eventually, I probably would get tired of the rocks, but not but not for a while.
2: I mean, I would carve in the rocks because I mean, I I guess if uh, I always get angry at people who carve in trees when I'm hiking, I'm like, who are you? I don't care about your love. But (laughs) if I was on Mars, I would be vandalizing some rocks to say like I was here and nobody would care who came after me, but I would feel satisfied to leave my imprint there. Oh yeah. Um, for oh
1: yeah. Yeah, I'd probably you know you just build like giant cairns of Mars rocks so people in the future would come along and be like, what on Earth? And he'd be like, look, there was this hypothetical in a podcast, and somehow it came true, and <laughs> like I got here. I can't explain all of that. I just or just like write like a basically a novel with rocks, just like pl- setting out pebbles to be like here's here to explain the entire thing. Here's a five thousand word essay written in pebbles.
2: <laughs> that would be. Um, that would be a, that would be a life chore worth living.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That would be a life absolutely. chore
2: worth living. I want to read your Pebble novel. Our next question, Sarah asks, Dear Felicia and Hank, if you could be transported into the world of a video game, which game world would you most like to explore and why? Oh, I love this oh. question. This is hard because yeah, I
1: put this I put this question in because I thought that you would you would enjoy it. Uh, but I completely forgot to come up with an answer for myself. So you're going to have to go first.
2: Well, I mean, I actually forgot to come up with an answer, even though when I read the it in the email, I was like, oh, this is very exciting. <laughs> I, I I mean, it's going to be hard because most places in video game worlds don't have toilets ever. So yeah. you go in and you're like, there's no toilet here. How do they go to the number one or number two? I think. I would be very torn between two different. I would be torn between a fantasy world and a science fiction world. So mm-hmm. you know, and every every video game has disaster happening all the time. So like for instance, Mass Effect. If I were in Mass Effect, if I were in Mass Effect, sorry, um, and I people were trying to blow up my planet, that would be an unpleasant experience. Although, I would have to be a very rich, lucrative person in there, so I would have my own ship. I would have a very diverse um, peer group of different species I would be able to travel around all the time but um, if I were to be sort of an alien just on a a, a ship I don't know uh, that seems appealing but not 100% so I I probably would want to live in a fantasy world like Skyrim or even World of Warcraft uh, because it has bright colors and even though I don't <laughs> think there's <laughs> there's not a lot of bathrooms in there but I think we could we could fix it we could we could craft something yeah yeah
1: you <laughs> The main concern is, do you guys have soft, fluffy, downy toilet paper? That's it.
2: Yeah, that would be super impressive. And, and uh, down pillows? yeah. I mean, if you, yeah, if you take out the chaos that is in, in, inherently in video games in that there's always confrontation and war mm-hmm. and explosions, if you take that out and just say, okay, you're just living in the world like a regular mm-hmm. person, it would be a tie between Mass Effect and probably World of yeah. Warcraft.
1: I, uh, I was just thinking about, do, do you remember the game Space Quest?
2: Oh, I love that! Where you play the janitor?
1: Yeah, yeah. So like, Space Quest Six, I think, was the last Space Quest, and it was the it was the sort of most involved one. And uh, oh my god! So we could ca- like that, the good thing about Space Quest is like it's it's really like this is just a bunch of dopes in space being dopey, funny jokes, <laughs> bright colors. You know, like pixel animation, and uh, and there's there's just not a lot. Like, like the worst thing that's gonna happen is you're gonna get kicked out of space school. Like, it's uh, I oh my god! Now that I'm saying this, I really want to let's play this game. Um, uh, it's uh, so like, yeah, that that I I'm into that. Um, uh, but the other thing is that like most media properties have video games. So like, my immediate thought is like. To take me to the star trek universe i will live there oh, okay um and, and and there's plenty of star trek video games so like yes transport me to star trek land and 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 i will i will live in in the next generation uh i will be an ensign will very good on the starship yeah uh enterprise and i'll be perfectly happy they have toilets there and uh there's the everybody seems to be happy and fulfilled and uh, adventures happen, but very few people die in the next generation uh though I probably would want to make sure I was a recurring character because I guess a fair number of people do die uh
2: red you would not want to be a red unitard you want to be a blue yes. or a yellow or yes yeah.
1: exactly uh so that's that's uh that's my cheaty answer, which is that uh there there are indeed Star Trek games, and that's where I've always wanted to live my whole life <laughs>
2: oh, that's funny. I wanted to marry Riker from a very young age, so.
1: I wanted to be Wesley Crusher. Really? Oh, yeah. He was my fave. I did my hair wow. like Wesley. I, yeah, I, I, he was so smart. He knew everything and everybody like respected him like an adult. He was perfect character for me. I understand why other people were not a big fan of, of Wesley, but uh, it was. Oh, I know. I, I liked
2: mean, him. I, I, I liked him and I wanted to be, you know, his mom was so pretty because I loved her red hair. I was just kind uh-huh. of in love with Riker the in a way that no, there was no one else existing for me and uh, you know and when I met Jonathan Frakes at a party I was kind of intimidated I was like oh god uh, hi can I get the Doritos I mean I really was just it was not
1: that's beautiful Um all right we're going we're going to move on to the news. This is going to be the news from both Mars the fourth rock from the sun and AFC Wimbledon the fourth tier English soccer team. So Felicia, do you have any obscure British football news for us?
2: I do indeed. I was given this piece of news and just recently learned that football is soccer. So uh let me let me <laughs> So this is super, super from my uh, records. Not Okay, so Neil Ardley, Wimbledon's magnificent and talented manager, got a bit upset during a friendly game between AFC Wimbledon and the Spanish Granada FC due to some overzealous refereeing. Ardley was quoted saying, "...the refs started to book players for nothing at all, and the lads from both sides lost their heads a bit. He blew the whistle for the slightest touch, and it was difficult to get any rhythm in the game." In all, it was a shame, and I don't know how often both an English team and a Spanish team have been upset with a referee. Um, that is the most sports that's ever coming out of my
1: mouth. <laughs> <So thank laughs> well, I'm you. proud, proud to have been responsible for all those sports that just came out of your mouth.
2: Many, many sports. I've been to Granada, and it is a beautiful city. So I, I did feel like it at least touched a little bit of home in my heart. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I really don't know. I wrote that. Uh, I, I, just you know went to google news and i searched for afc wimbledon and that was a thing and most like 90% of that was just a quote from neil ardley which was exactly how the article was written in whatever publication it was written in it was basically just this is the thing that a guy said and uh, and i really like i i still don't understand what they're talking about so i apologize mm-hmm. if i messed that up in any way but for some reason he was upset at a referee And uh, now you know that thing about AFC Wimbledon. On to Mars news. Uh, Yay! There was a lot to choose from this week in Mars News. I'm going to give you a story that podcast listeners might actually be able to get involved with themselves. The Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter has been taking a lot of pretty fantastic pictures of Mars. So many that mission scientists are calling on volunteers to help them identify and classify fascinating and peculiar formations near the southern pole of Mars, marking them for future research. Ah, marking them for future research. These features, ugh. These features are left behind during the southern summer on Mars, when dry ice sublimes off of the surface, leaving weird spider-like formations and channels and holes. You can learn more about this project, including how to participate, at the Planet Four Terrains website, which is at terrains.planetfour.org, and that's p-l-a-n-e-t-f-o-u-r.org, and that. Is our episode of Dear Hank and John without John but guest hosted by Felicia Day, the creator of many wonderful things including the entire Geek and Sandra YouTube network and author of You're Never Weird on the Internet, almost out August 11th and available for pre-order now.
2: Yay. Yay. Thank you for having me. Oh, I uh I am delighted. I am always an admirer of you and to hang out uh, virtually with you in audio form is a
1: a big treat. Oh. So thank you. That's very sweet. It is a huge treat for me as well. And it's going to be also a huge treat for our editor, Nicholas Jenkins, who's a big Felicia Day fan. And
2: thanks, Nick! Yeah.
1: So thanks, Nick. Our our theme music is by Gunnarola. Nick, of course, Nicholas Jenkins is our editor. If you have any questions for us, you can send them to HankandJohn at gmail.com. And as we say, in our hometown, don't forget to be awesome.